Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing the resurging British watchmaking industry and one particular company in Marlow that's currently raising funds on Crowdcube. And we're very happy to welcome to the podcast this morning, Oliver Goff, who's the co-founder of the Marlow Watch Company. Oliver, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. A pleasure, Jonathan. Great to be here. So we're going to be having quite a broad discussion today, actually, Oliver. We're going to be looking at the the, the wider industry and then really drill down into the Marlow Watch Company. Uh, you're currently on Crowdcube at the moment. That's one of the reasons why you're with us today, uh, raising 250000 currently in overfunding. So very well done on that. It's been a very strong investor demand. We can see there, and we're going to be discussing about what we're going to be using the funds for and your future plans for growth. But before we get into it, Oliver, please just be able to give us a very brief introduction to the Marlow Watch Company, please. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so Marlow Watch Company is a mechanical watch brand. Um, we're approximately seven years old now. Um, and you know, our, our job, I suppose, is to endeavour to bring new and exciting designs and watches to market um, at accessible price points. Um, so, you know, sort of sub 500 and, and we do have some sub 1000 pound watches as well. Fantastic. And that's something that we're going to speak about a little bit later on in the podcast. But let's let's go back to where it all started, uh, Oliver. So, Oliver, I understand from uh, looking here, yourself and your, co- your co-founder, Gordon, didn't actually have any experience in the watch industry before you established Marlow. So it's going to be quite fascinating to hear what drove you into the industry and, and what's what really drove the establishment of Marlow Watch Company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it all really started when I went to change the battery in one of the watches I owned. Um, uh, this is a watch I'd bought in America. It was just a quartz sort of fashion watch, as, as we refer to them now. Um, and I was I had a bit of time on my hands, and I thought, well, I can change a battery in a watch. And I went to take the case back off the watch and, and couldn't really believe um how underwhelming it was sort of the lack of of components and and you were very quickly able to tell that the watch was made incredibly cheaply um and you know what i suppose i think it cost me 250 dollars and i think that for me it was it was quite a moment i just realized wow that was uh, i've really paid for the brand there over the the actual quality of the product um and it really just made me sort of set me off on this journey to well hold, hold on a minute can i make something that's that's better than that for a, a similar price point um i didn't even know gordon at the time um i found gordon on a forum um he was a designer he had tried to launch a watch back in 2000 and goodness four or five or six i can't quite remember um and I approached him and I, well, I approached about 50 people and everyone said no, apart from Gordon, who I sort of said, look, I, I really want to try and do something here. And I believe I can make a mechanical watch that's going to compete with these sort of these quartz fashion watches, but actually be, you know, a real mechanical watch and have genuine value. Um, but I needed a designer to help me on on that that journey. Um, 
and Gordon, well, initially said no, actually, but he came round. And, um, yeah, we, we basically started, the first ever watch we had was called the Cherwell. We started designing the Cherwell. We decided to launch it on Kickstarter. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it went pretty well, actually. Fantastic. Now, that's obviously part of your, your growth story, which we will elaborate on later in the, the podcast. But, Oliver, now let's just look, if we may, at the, you know, the British watchmaking industry. Uh, you know, would you be able to tell listeners a little bit about you know, what, what it looks like? Because, of course, people will be familiar with you know, European uh, watches and all the, uh, the main brands there. Uh, so this is a particularly fascinating to hear that we're seeing a resurgence in, in British watchmaking. And would you be able to tell listeners a little bit about what, what it looks like, you know, where it's located, uh, maybe some numbers attached to it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the British watchmaking industry right now is, yeah, barely exists. We, we were the, the leading uh, country back in the sort of the 40s and 50s. Um, the war didn't help, obviously. Um, and our government at the time weren't particularly interested in sort of increasing, sort of industrializing the industry. Um, and that basically moved many brands away from the, the well, away from Britain, including Rolex, actually. Rolex was, was a British company. Um, and they went over to Switzerland. Um, and that's really where we lost our grasp on the on the pinnacle of sort of watchmaking. Um, I think the quote is something along the lines of 75% of the, 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 the most important components of any movement have, have been designed um, in, in the UK. Um, and, you know, bringing it up to today, I suppose that Switzerland has led the way for some time now. You can obviously, there were movements being manufactured in other countries as well, but Switzerland do lead the way. Um, but slowly but surely over the last sort of five to ten years, elements of, of watchmaking are coming back to the UK. Um, and we want to be part of that resurgence, really. It's um, it's a really exciting time. Um, I, you, you may have noticed Bremont very recently just launched a new watch that's uh, or a new movement called H1, um, which I believe stands for Henley One because they're based in Henley on Thames. Um, and there's there's brands all around the UK now who are either assembling their watches or, or, or manufacturing their watches here in the UK. And it's something we feel incredibly passionate about. And uh, and this is the next step in our trajectory. Fantastic. So j- just you know, listening to what you've said there, Oliver, something's just, just struck me. And before we move on, just a very quick question. You know, how... Would you define yourself? Because you were talking about the mechanics, and that was one of the the, the problems that uh, that you saw and, and and you wanted to address. But then you've obviously mentioned fashion as well, and you know th- there might be a bit of differentiation um, b- b- between you know the different schools of thoughts in in watchmaking. And w- would you say that the Marlowe Watch Company is uh, is a manufacturing focused company, or are you, are you more a, a fashion focused company, or is it a mixture um, of the two? We can't really claim to be manufacturing focused, although manufacturing is incredibly important to us. And we have partners in Switzerland and in Japan who manufacture our watches. Um, we refer to ourselves as a design led business. Um, we I, I don't particularly like the term sort of fashion led and we don't really get involved in, in fashion trends or anything like that, which allows us to sort of design outside of, of, of current trends and, and things. 
Um, but yeah, we're very much a design-led business, but this move to bring assembly in-house and hopefully in time elements of manufacturing, that then gives us that arm, that, that, that manufacturing arm that we feel very strongly about. Fantastic. Thank you. So I mean, one of the things that struck me about Marlowe was your... You know, when you started, you were very much bringing in your your, your community. You, I think you started on, on, on Kickstarter, uh, I believe. You know, that was obviously looking at you know bringing people along with your journey from the very beginning. Um, you know, how, what what was the the thinking behind this, and, and what drove you to take this approach to the Milo Watch Company? Um, I suppose, for, well, for me, I can't speak for Gordon, but. Um, I, I've always been, I was going to use the word obsessed then, maybe obsessed isn't the right word, but I've always been obsessed with service. Um, I always thought that, that one day I would be some sort of service consultant, even though my, uh, my background is in sales and marketing. Um, but it's, it's something that's really close to my heart, being, being close to customers. Um, not only that, but we always felt there was this, you really had to pull back the curtain on the watch industry. There's so much sort of secret and... Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's it's a funny old industry to be involved in, and basically, when we when we started to get involved in it, we we thought that people were sort of hiding behind the brand, or you, you never really knew who was making the products. Um, you know, one company is owned by another company. Take Swatch for example; they own lots and lots of companies, um, and you never really know who's who's making your product. And we wanted to be completely transparent about that. Um, and what better way to do that than, than sort of immerse yourself in the community? Um, we've always we've always wanted that 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 sort of um, connection with our customers, and I, I think having a community of people who are sort of you know almost involved in the in the in the running of the business is a really great way to run the business, to get feedback, to understand if your product products are resonating with people. Um, we we're you know, our community means a huge amount to us. As we grow as well, we went through Kickstarter rounds um, and then we're, we're now doing Crowdcube funding as well. So we even have, you know, shareholders who are investing in the business. Um, and the value there is, is is fantastic. I mean, we these guys, are, they do. I mean, we actually had a, a shareholders meeting last week. Um, these guys add fantastic value to the business. Um, you know, you've, at the moment we have access to 740 of them. Um, and for that, they, we don't feel there's, you know, you can get much better value than that out of your uh, out of your customers. Indeed, indeed. So let's now move on, Oliver, to, to look at the, the current CrowdCube round. Now, obviously, I said at the beginning, you set out with an initial target of £250,000. That was very quickly met and you're currently in overfunding uh, just over £300,000 raise. Now, one of the the uses of these funds will be, and one of the, your, your your key objectives is is to bring assembly in house, as you alluded to earlier. You know, what's the importance behind this for you to 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 have that manufacturing? You said at the moment is is elsewhere to actually bring that internally for for Marlow. I think for us, it it delivers or, or ticks multiple boxes. Um, the first basic one is that it allows us to repair and service all of our watches in-house. Now that currently is, is, is external. We don't have that resource internally. Now that might sound like a small thing, but every mechanical watch needs servicing every three to five years. So you know, to have that external to your business as a, as a watch brand is, is 
quite challenging. So we're very keen to bring that in-house. The assembly itself, we we want to be involved in that, bringing the elements, the components of the watch together and assembling that ourselves. There are several reasons for that. One of them being um, we have experienced even these, this is on Swiss made assembly lines, um, you know, challenges with those, especially over COVID where uh, manufacturing assembly um, lines were closed down. We basically want to bring that in-house under our own overview to make sure we are assembling as efficiently and as, as well as possible with, with the lowest possible failure rates. Um, and then off the back of that, it brings lots of really interesting and exciting things. You could start customizing your watches. So you might want the red dial with the blue hands or, or whatever it may be. Um, and the customization is a really interesting element for us. Um, we are, like I mentioned earlier, a design-led business, and we quite feel quite strongly about the watches we design. Um, but obviously, everyone is different. Every, you know, uh, watches, like many other things that are designed like this, are completely subjective. And so we want that flexibility for our customers as well to be able to say, you know, I love this watch, but actually I'd really like it with X, Y, or Z. Um, so having that ability in-house is would be really, really powerful for us. And I suppose, you know, the watch world is a tricky place. You can't, you know, even if we're assembling the watches in Britain, you can't say British made, which is a bit of a shame because uh, there's lots of products that would claim to be British made, which technically purchase their parts from overseas and then make and assemble them in Britain and therefore they're British made. It doesn't quite work like that in, in Britain, unfortunately. But we still feel incredibly passionately about bringing jobs to the UK. So we will be bringing in uh, watchmakers and watchmaker apprenti apprenticeships. Um, and we will uh, be, you know, hand hand assembling these, our products ourselves. Um, and I think that not only making sure that you reduce the failure rate uh, on, on, on assembled assemble products, but also just having that craft bringing it back to Britain and having that in, in house is for me, I, I, God, I, it's, it's what I've wanted to do for seven or eight years now, since Gordon and I first had a conversation, I, I want to create a destination where people can come and see their watch being assembled by a watchmaker. Um, I feel very strongly about that. And perhaps it's sort of this, this uh, um, pipe dream of mine, but I also feel there's great value in, in understanding what goes into the, your watch, what's on your wrist, what are the components that have gone into that and being able to understand it a little bit more and, and going through that sort of educational purpose, a uh, process, sorry. Um, and for example, when I took the back off of my watch back seven or eight years ago to change the battery, I had no idea what was going to be in there. But what was in there was a tiny little plastic movement inside a hollow shell and, and it became very apparent very quickly that it, it was cheap. Whereas mechanical watches, they have these tiny little beating hearts inside them with, with components and cogs and, and, and they are sort of alive as it were. And so we want, we want that to go, sort of go through that educational process that the difference between a quartz watch and a mechanical watch and, and how they work, how they operate and, and how to look after them, that sort of thing. Fantastic. So I just want to address now that, you know, the differentiation, Oliver, between assembly, of course, that, that we've just discussed there and, and manufacturing, because, you know, as you said, bringing in and bringing back manufacturing uh, to the UK in, in, in watchmaking will have you know huge 
benefits for for the overall UK economy and, and in the world of deglobalization that we're seeing at the moment. You know, this is this is a trend that's probably set to to continue. Uh, but looking at you know the manufacturing side, you know, as you said, yes, assembly is is great. We can do that here in the UK. Uh, and you can see people being put, you know, put put together. But it's that manufacturing element of different components which is particularly fascinating. You know, if you start to bring that back over overseas, of course, there's a lot more of the, the value generation in, in the supply chain here in the UK. So, you know, which specific components do you see have the, you know, the potential to be manufactured here in the UK? Firstly, I mean, there are one or two manufacturers who do make movements here in the UK. Um, they are sort of quite niche brands. I mentioned uh, Braemont. They've, they've done it recently. Their watches are in the sort of six, seven thousand pound area. Um, so movements themselves are very, very hard to manufacture. They take a lot of investment, a lot of time, a lot of machinery. Um, it, it's a huge, huge learning curve. However, the other parts of a watch, let's say the case, the crown, the case back, the crystal, the hands, the dial, they are all manufactured. Well, the first thing they manufacture all over the world, but there are some people in the UK who manufacture these components. Um, we are very passionate about doing the same. So over the coming years, um, following this, this current funding round, we're very keen to bring those, those sort of manufacturing elements in-house as well. So from case manufacturing to dials to hands. Those are probably the first three things that we would look at bringing in um, and then broadening that. So you're trying really to, to manufacture every component other than the movement. Um, I mean, right now, we don't have plans to manufacture a movement in-house, but it's definitely something we have ambition for. But that ambition is probably not in the next five to 10 years. Um, like I say, huge levels of investment, but something would be something that would be a, a dream of ours to do. But a good starting point are those 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 sort of those components that make a watch what it is. But where within Britain we still have the ability to manufacture those fairly easily. So moving on now, Oliver. But one thing I've noticed is you, you have quite high reviews from your from your customers. Two thousand reviews, four point nine seven out of five, and this is something that you that you mentioned earlier on. In the podcast, that you know, you had a big focus on on service. Now you you know for, for a for a watch company, watch manufacturer, uh, and a, and a watch brand. Of course, many people would think that the most important thing is, of course, the product, which which indeed it is. But the service element. I mean, what for you makes it so important to have a a strong service for your customers at Marlow? Um, as I mentioned earlier on, I, I don't know why I have this sort of slight obsession with service. Um, I have a brother who lives in America, actually, and and I think I've been going out there since I was 20 years old, so 21 years ago. And um, I was always blown away with the level of service you, you receive there um, compared to what you, you get in the UK. And I think it just instilled in me this this sort of this this want as a consumer myself for for, for very good service and i don't mean i don't need a red carpet or luxury service or anything like that it's just you know polite understanding recognition kind those those sorts of things that are very very easy to deliver um 
you know, mechanical watches are, are, are sort of beasts unto themselves and sometimes they go wrong. And so you need to be very understanding and flexible as, as the as a supplier of these products, because sometimes they're going to go wrong and sometimes people are going to be upset that they have gone wrong. And so offering a high level of service to these people who have also parted with their hard-earned cash. I mean, we have watches starting at 300 all the way up to a thousand pounds. I mean, you know, I, that's incredible that people are prepared to spend that sort of money um, on a product that you make. And so I feel it's only fair that you support them with the absolute best level of service possible. Um, I think my wife would disagree with that when I'm writing an email on a Sunday evening, but that, that's how we work. That's how we operate. We we try to respond as quickly and, and politely and as efficiently as we possibly can to every single customer email that comes in. Um, it's, it's just really important for us that not only are our products as good as they can possibly be, but the services that we offer match those those products and i and i hopefully that speaks for itself when like you say we have over 2000 reviews and we're scoring 4.97 out of 5 which is pretty pretty good for us yes yes that's that's, that's highly commendable thank you so oliver to, to finish here looking at the highlights on on crowdcube now obviously investors listening to this that would be keen to uh to, to look further in in, in tomorrow um, you know, I'd be interested to hear that you you recorded one million in revenue last year. You've sold over twelve and a half thousand watches worldwide. You've been featured in numerous magazines, GQ, Sky News, New York Times, etc. But you know that that's great. But but people will be particularly interested to hear about your plans going forward and and, and where you see the business going from from where you are. So to finish off, Oliver, would you have to give us a few points, a few milestones that you as a company are looking for uh, over the next five years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this particular, this this current funding round now, the, the main um, driver for this is to bring assembly in-house and, and elements of manufacturing over the course of the next sort of two to three years. Um, in fact, in, in three years' time, we hope to be um, producing around about 3,000 watches that are that are assembled in-house. Um, we're, we're not going to go 100% um, assembly in the UK. Um, the main reason for that is price points will shift a little bit. Not, not a lot, but a little bit. Um, so we'll still be offering entry-level products from um, Japan and Switzerland, um, as well as our, our British assembled watches. Um, the the ultimate goal really is is in the next four to five years is to achieve ten thousand unit sales per year. Um, that then makes us a, a very attractive company uh, for either takeover or, or a merger or a purchase. Um, and with that, um, the, the the revenue um, uh, goes up in various stages and multiply. Um, in three years from now, uh, well, from uh, the turn of our financial year anyway, March, uh, April the first. Um, we're looking to have tripled revenue uh, to, th- to over three million pounds. So the growth we're, we're looking for is pretty quick, pretty steep. Um, but we believe we have the, the, the team to get us there. Um, after our first crowdfunding round back in 2019, we went from 440,000 to over a million uh, in the first full year uh, since the funding round. So we, we can scale quite quickly. Um, and we believe the, the the targets that we've set are not too optimistic. We feel they're achievable. 
Um, we're having a great year so far this year as well. So the numbers, yeah, we, we, we feel they're attainable. Fantastic, Oliver. Thank you. Thank you very much. So just as a, a note to listeners, do check out the podcast notes because there'll be a link through not only to the Crowdcube page, we'll be able to find out some more information, download uh, the documents, including the you know pitch deck and sort of looking at some of the numbers that, uh, that Oliver's outlined there, but also a link through to the Milo Watch Company's website. So go and check out the products and uh, and have a look at those. So, um, Oliver, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Jonathan. It was a pleasure. So just a final note here. Subscribers to the UK Investor Magazine newsletter will be receiving a email in the coming days where there will be an outline of the, the key points that we've discussed there and some further information about how you can invest on, on Crowdcube. So do, uh, do keep an, an eye out for that. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.